Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for making us to be among the living today. And we thank you for an opportunity where we can come to study your word and increase our knowledge of God and receive power to do your will. Father in heaven, as spiritual things are spiritually discerned, we know that we can wrest your word out of its true meaning or it will have no saving effect upon us if the Holy Spirit is not there to apply it to our hearts. So we pray, grant us of your spirit and apply your words to our hearts that it may transform us and that we may become more like you as we study. Put your words in my mouth and give me grace to bless your children. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him. January 8. A sad day for the universe. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When our first parents were placed in the beautiful garden of Eden, they were tested in regard to their loyalty to God. They were free to choose the service of God or by disobedience to ally themselves with the enemy of God and man. If they disregard God's commands and listen to the voice of Satan as he spoke through the serpent, they would not only forfeit their claim to Eden but to life itself. The first great moral lesson given Adam was that of self-denial. The reins of self-government were placed in his hands. Judgment, reason and conscience were to bear sway. Adam and Eve were permitted to partake of every tree in the garden save one. There was only a single prohibition. The forbidden tree was as attractive and lovely as any of the trees in the garden. It was called the tree of knowledge because in partaking of that tree of which God had said, Thou shalt not eat of it, they would have a knowledge of sin and experience in disobedience. With what intense interest the whole universe watched the conflict that was to decide the position of Adam and Eve. How attentively the angels listened to the words of Satan, the originator of sin, as he sought to make of none effect the law of God through his deceptive reasoning. How anxiously they waited to see if the holy pair would be deluded by the tempter and yield to his arts. They asked themselves, Will the holy pair transfer their faith and love from the father and son to Satan? Will they accept his falsehoods as truth? Adam and Eve persuaded themselves that in so small a matter as eating of the forbidden fruit, there could not result such terrible consequences as God had declared. But this small matter was sin, the transgression of God's immutable and holy law, and it opened the floodgates of death and untold woe upon our world. Let us not esteem sin as a trivial thing. Amen.
The title of our devotion for today is A Sad Day for the Universe. And indeed, it was a sad day, not just for earth, not just for heaven, but for the whole universe and all the other worlds that God created. The sin of our first parents. So let us go through this account and learn lessons about God from it, that we may know him. Genesis 2 verse 7 and 8 tells us how God formed man from the dust and planted him in the garden. And in verse 15 to 17 it says, And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And this Eden is the garden of God. That's what it is. In the Ezekiel 28 verse 13, we see there when it was talking of Lucifer saying, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. And also in Ezekiel 31 verse 9, it talked about Eden, the garden of God. It was a special treat that the Lord gave after creating earth. Earth was already very, very beautiful to behold. But God wanted to add to the happiness of Adam and Eve and he gave them his own garden, Eden. And that was their own home. That was where they lived. But like it says, a sad day in the universe, something happened. After the warning that God had given, Genesis 2 verse 16 and 17, telling them not to eat of the tree of knowledge and we saw in our devotion why god said that because they would have a knowledge of sin and experience in disobedience it was a test the tree of itself had not had no property in it that gives evil we'll see that as we go on but in genesis 3 verse 1 to 6 we see the account of the fall of man which i must read because here we learn deep lessons now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, had God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruits of fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And in verse 13, when God came to speak to them, this deep and solemn question was asked to Eve. What is this that thou hast done? That was a question that God asked to Eve. What is this that thou hast done? The betrayal of Adam and Eve to God was deep. And as I read this story, every time I read it, what I used to wonder in my mind is, did Eve really think that someone, which is God, Jesus Christ, who created her, gave her the whole earth as her dominion, gave her Eden as her home, gave her every fruit of every tree to eat, was deceiving her? And that a serpent who had no claim or evidence to show that he had any love for her, had not done her any good, did she look at God, Jesus Christ and the serpent and feel that the serpent is the one telling the truth? 
And for me, like the angels like and the other beings, as we read in the time in Nohim, page 14, paragraph 5, I look also anxiously in my mind, asking, was she deluded by this? And the question which they ask themselves, will the holy pair transfer their faith and love from the Father and Son to Satan? Will they accept his falsehoods and truth? That question found its answer because for me, as far as I can see, that is what happened. Some may not have understood it as deeply as this, but do you know what happened that day? That in Eve's mind, there was a decision that God is a liar and Satan is telling the truth through that serpent. And anytime I read the story, as God has seen fit to open my eyes, what I see is betrayal, treachery. And like the angels, I realized that this was a betrayal of someone else's love and a betrayal of trust, a treacherous one at that. On Eve's part, it was a treacherous betrayal of love and for Adam, it was a lack of faith and a betrayal of trust. So let me explain. Eve listened to one who had not proven any love to her. Her treachery was that she actually believed that one who had done good and only good to her did not actually love her, and which is Jesus Christ. She actually suspected Jesus that he was hiding things from her and that was what led her to rebelliously eat that fruit in the full belief that she had now known the truth and had found a friend who cared for her and loved her so much as to reveal the secret about Jesus, that he was a bad person. She felt she was now privy to some secret information that would save her. This was a treacherous thing to say the least. What evidence did the serpent or Satan give to Eve for her to believe him? Had the love of God lavished on her in placing her in Eden no weight with her? How about all other fruits that God had not withheld from her? Did they not show his great love for her? Was that not enough? All of that was forgotten while she was talking with the whisperer. That's the serpent whispered. And the little evidence given by him was enough to convince her. Her love for God was lost and she decided to switch allegiance. Her faith and love was transferred from God to Satan in that moment and she became his evangelist to lure her husband into his hand. And why do I say her love was lost? Because we are told in the book of 1 Corinthians 13 that love thinks no evil. But Eve thought evil of God. Reading from Matthew Henry's commentary about love concerning what it says that it, it envied not and it thinketh no evil, he said, it does not reason out evil or charge guilt upon them by inference and innuendo when nothing of this sort appears open. Was there anything of this sort that appeared open to Eve? No, there was nothing of that sort to show that God did not love her. But she believed the serpent because what the serpent was accusing God of was that God did not love her. He said, for God doth know. He's keeping it secret from you. He's downgrading you. He does not love you, but I want to elevate you because I love you. I'm the one who actually loves you and that's why I'm giving you this information. That God has been withholding this fruit from you so that you will not be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. He claimed that he created you in his image, but he deceived you. You are not in his image until you eat this fruit. That is when you'll be in his image. And she reasoned it out and felt, mm, wow, see great information. It has come to me. And from what Matthew Henry said about love, he says, True love is not apt to be jealous and suspicious. 
true love cannot be jealous and suspicious and will draw a veil over anything that appears like a fault instead of hunting and raking out those that that lie covered and concealed it will never indulge suspicion without proof but will rather incline to darken and disbelieve evidence against the person it affects it will hardly give in to an ill opinion of another and it will do it with regret and reluctance when the evidence cannot be resisted hence it will never be forward to suspect ill and reason itself into a bad opinion upon mere appearances nor give way to suspicion without any it will not make the worst construction of things but put the best face that it can on circumstances that have no good appearance what did Eve do to God? Did she paint God as good? She was supposed to be God's evangelist, defending God before that serpent and rebuking him. But she couldn't do anything like that. She loved what the serpent was telling her. Eve failed. In all these things I read, she suspected God. She went further. She believed. She did not even try to darken the whole thing and say, there must be a reason why God said we shouldn't eat this. Let me go and ask him. Nothing like that. And we have a lesson to learn from here. A lesson on human relationships and how to maintain it. That when we relate to our fellow brothers, we should also be careful not to behave like Eve, but we should love. Now let's go to Adam. Adam did not trust that God could handle this situation and he took laws into his own hands. Adam was not deceived. The Bible tells us, 1 Timothy 2 verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. So Adam's case was a case of losing his first love. Adam did not lose his love for God. But he did not trust God's power to save and he did not trust God's ways. As far as he could see, Eve was supposed to die. He couldn't see beyond that. But that which he could see, Eve's death, was totally unacceptable to him. He couldn't imagine what life would be without Eve. He had grown to love Eve more than God. That's why I say he lost his first love. He had grown to love Eve more than the God who gave Eve to him and he indulged mistrust of God's ways. He also downplayed the enormity of disobedience and chose to take his chances in testing God. So three things I've said. He loved Eve more than God. Secondly, he did not trust God to handle the situation properly. And thirdly, he downplayed the enormity of disobedience. So he chose to take his chances to test God. He became presumptuous. He did not fully expect that he would die. He started to downplay it in the day that it is a that shall surely die. And he decided, let's just let me just try it. We'll go and meet God and we'll see what will happen. He believed God would change his mind, or better still, the worst thing is that he would die. And he didn't even know what death was. So, since he didn't know, he didn't understand how serious the matter was. So he downplayed the whole situation. He ate the fruit. He had chosen to love Eve more than God. There will be many people destroyed today in the lake of fire who sincerely love God. They will be they will be destroyed not because they didn't love God but because they loved something more than God. Luke 14 verse 26 and 27 Jesus said, If any man come to me and hate not, that is loveless, hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yeah, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. As at that day, Adam could not be a disciple because he loved his wife more than God. He had a cross to bear in the thoughts and maybe the reality of being without Eve. But he was unwilling to carry his cross and he sacrificed the destiny of all humanity on account of this. So it is with many today. We love God but not more than our mother. We love God, but not more than our wives and children and brethren and sisters and lands and reputation. 
yeah we love god but not more than our lives and therefore we cannot be god's disciple every decision we are making every day we are placed in the same position as was adam to choose between the love of god and the love of something else and every time we disobey god we are choosing to love something else more than god and jesus says when you do that when i do that we all cannot be his disciple like adam will have to be chased out of the garden of eden out of the presence of the lord because we have shown that we do not value god more than earthly sins we read in our devotion that i may know him page 14 paragraph 3 the first great moral lesson given adam was that of self-denial the reins of self-government were placed in his hands judgment reason and conscience were to be a sway end of quote this reminds me of matthew 16 verse 24 and 25 remember it says the moral lesson is what self-denial jesus said unto his disciples if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take off his cross and follow me for whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it amen see god is not against our pleasures he is against the pleasures of sin however because sin destroys us in pleasure while we are enjoying it sin's destruction is sweet and appealing to the flesh sin destroys while exchanging destruction for pleasure and this is why after jesus exhorts us to deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him in the next verse in verse 26 he says for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul in other words what gain do you have after enjoying sin at the expense of your soul there is no gain we are left with absolutely nothing because our soul is everything and if we exchange our souls for pleasure we have lost everything when we engage in all kinds of sinful behavior when we try to secure wealth for ourselves or secure one earthly thing or the other but while doing that we are sinning against god we are exchanging our souls for earthly things your soul is the most important thing adam chose to stay with eve at the expense of his soul and he downplayed the whole situation he thought it was a small matter that's the next lesson we'll look at but i want to dwell more on what adam did and we should learn lessons from it whenever we find ourselves in situations that look like we either have to lose something we love or trust god we learn the lesson that we should trust god and i know it's a difficult lesson especially when we have put ourselves in a street and we want to make things right and we are looking at it and we are seeing the consequences of this decision i have made is disaster and we have within our hands a way to avert that disaster but the only way to avert it is to sin we need to learn to trust god in such situations and i know it's not easy i know there are many today who have made mistakes already or someone else has made mistakes and that mistake is going to affect them and that was what happened to adam and they cannot see any other way parents have children who have gotten pregnant and they cannot see any other way to avoid the consequence than to abort the child and others can't see any consequence than to deny that they are the ones who are responsible for that child and the lady doesn't see any other way to escape the consequence than to submit to the abortion and then there are others too in other situations we find ourselves in a street in a corner like adam found himself i understand the situation but we cannot blame adam when we also do the same thing he does 
And that's why, as I go through the story of Adam and Eve, it is with a sense of my own weaknesses and sins and understanding that I could be the same person like Adam. And I have been. And there are times when we all have been put in corners and we tell a lie to escape. And we deceive to escape. And we do something wrong to escape. And that was what Adam did. He did something wrong trying to use that to preserve what he wanted. For others, it's their reputation they want to preserve, so they kill. So somebody has found them doing something wrong. And to preserve their reputation, they kill. And others, they lie and they deceive. It's the same thing happening over and over again. But it's out of a lack of trust. Had Adam trusted God, God would have seen him through that situation and he would have come out of it unscathed. So that's a lesson, deep lesson for us here. But the other thing here is that Adam overlooked the magnitude of this sin. He looked at it as a small thing. The sin of Adam and Eve was not sexual intercourse like some people want to portray. God invented sex and there's nothing wrong with it as long as it is done in the right way in marriage. God commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and it was true sexual intercourse that they were to multiply. The notion that it was sex because in the mind of people, the sin that Adam and Eve committed must have been something really grievous that God would chase them out of Eden and would cause Jesus to die. So in their minds, they think that it must be something bad and the only thing that comes to mind is sex. And it's not as if sex is bad, they were married. But this is a notion among some Christians and that notion is wrong. And the reason I'm going through that is because it makes us to downplay the word of God thinking that the eating of that fruit from that tree was a small matter and we say no no it cannot be the eating of that god cannot punish for that no we're mistaken we read in our devotion that i may know him page 14 paragraph 6 adam and eve persuaded themselves that in so small a matter as eating of the forbidden fruit there could not result such terrible consequences as god had declared but this small matter was seen the transgression of god's immutable and holy law and it opened the floodgates of death and untold war upon the world let us not esteem sin as a trivial thing end of quote the sin of an uncontrolled appetite was the sin of adam and eve until now many look at this sin as of no great consequence it shouldn't bring any terrible consequence. They may agree that eating improperly may have some disadvantages to health. But they say the Lord will not do good. Neither will he do evil as far as it concerns what they put into their mouths. But I ask us to stop and think for a while. We will all agree that it is worse for someone to eat something that is both prohibited and harmful than to eat something that is prohibited but not harmful to it. Then, if Adam and Eve ate something, that God asked them not to eat, and the thing they ate was not necessarily harmful to health, but it was merely a test. How then do you think that the same God who drove our first parents out of Eden for a smaller matter than that which we do today will not take seriously his prohibitions on what we are to eat and not to eat today? You see, it is the story of Adam and Eve that convinced me that truly God is not joking. If we think that there was something else they did, like some say sexual intercourse that made God chase them out, we lose the lesson. You cannot know God. If you want to get the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you must understand that it was a small matter which was not actually small. As small as eating something they were told not to eat that brought sin and woe and destruction and all the troubles we are facing today. 
And the more we downplay the matter of what we put into our mouths, we are repeating what Adam and Eve did. If God takes you to Eden now, you will do the same thing. Because you don't take seriously the prohibitions that he has placed on what to eat and not to eat. Isaiah 66 verse 15 to 17 tells us that God still takes it seriously today. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the mist eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together saith the Lord. Amen. Let us not deceive ourselves. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He who took the prohibitions he placed on what to eat in Eden will still take seriously the prohibitions he has placed on what we eat today. If he does not do this, he will be inconsistent in his judgment and character and is therefore not the same yesterday, today and forever. What are God's prohibitions on diet? It is as we have said before, he is not against our pleasure derived from what we eat. But when we derive pleasure from eating and drinking things that destroy our body, being the temple of the Holy Ghost, God places a prohibition on that because we are destroying the body temple as it is written in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 17. If any man defile the temple, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. To know what is good to eat and what not to eat, you need to study what is good for your health. Since may be different. I'm reading now Steps to Christ, page 30, paragraph 1. It says, God does not regard all sins as of equal magnitude. There are degrees of guilt in his estimation, as well as in that of man. But however trifling this or that wrong act may seem in the eyes of men, no sin is small in the sight of God. Man's judgment is partial, imperfect, but God estimates all things as they really are. The drunkard is despised and is told that his sin would exclude him from heaven, while pride, selfishness, and covetousness too often go unrebuked. But these are sins that are especially offensive to God, for they are contrary to the benevolence of his character, to that unselfish love which is the very atmosphere of the unfallen universe. He who falls into some of the grosser sins may feel a sense of shame and poverty and his need of the grace of Christ. But pride feels no need. And so it closes the heart against Christ and the infinite blessings he came to give. The poor publican who prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, regarded himself as a very wicked man. And others looked upon him in the same light, but he felt his need. And with his burden of guilt and shame, he came before God asking for his mercy. His heart was open for the Spirit of God to do its gracious work and set him free from the power of sin. The Pharisee's boastful self-righteous prayer showed that his heart was closed against the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because of his distance from God, he had no sense of his own defilement in contrast with the perfection of divine holiness. He felt no need and he received nothing. End of quote. Why have I read this? It is to make us understand that sin is great. That even though everything you look at, oh, every sin, there is the difference in magnitude of sin, yes, but every sin is great. And no matter how little it is in our eyes, they have consequence. There is no smaller sin than that which Adam and Eve committed. And yet, where did it bring us? Where we are today? Death and woe upon man. Page 31, paragraph 2 of Steps to Christ says, But let none deceive themselves with the thought that God in his great love and mercy will yet save even the rejecters of his grace. The exceeding sinfulness of sin can be estimated only in the light of the cross. 
when men urge that God is too good to cast off the sinner, let them look to Calvary. It was because there was no other way in which man could be saved. Because without this sacrifice, it was impossible for the human race to, ex to escape from the defiling power of sin and be restored to communion with holy beings, impossible for them again to become partakers of spiritual life. It was because of this that Christ took upon himself the guilt of the disobedient and suffered in the sinner's stead. The love and suffering and death of the Son of God all testify to the terrible enormity of sin and declare that there is no escape from its power, no hope of the higher life, but through the submission of the soul to Christ. End of quote. And like we've been told, let us not regard sin as a trivial thing. Pride is one of the sins that goes unrebuked, but it is not a trivial thing. It is a big sin in the eyes of God. So let us not estimate things through the mortal eyes, but through the divine eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ and realize that that sin you are thinking is small is not small. Just because people are not rebuking you for it does not mean it is not wrong. Something like the Sabbath, people look at it as a small thing. How can God punish anybody? How can he deny anybody life just because they did not keep a day holy? And then they discard any talk about it. And that was how Adam and Eve behaved. They discarded the talk about the fruit and felt it was a small matter. How can just eating something make me to become debarred from being in the kingdom of God? It cannot be. Certainly, it's not just true. And today, people are doing the same thing. Learn the lesson. There is no small sin in the eyes of God. Reading from Steps to Christ, page 33, paragraph 1, and also we saw it in our devotion. Adam and Eve persuaded themselves that in so small a matter as eating the forbidden fruit, there could not result such terrible consequences. But yet, terrible consequences came. Reading from page 33, paragraph 2, we are told every act of transgression, every neglect or rejection of the grace of Christ is reacting upon ourselves. It is hardening our hearts, depraving the will, benumbing the understanding, and not only making you less inclined to yield, but less capable of yielding to the tender pleading of God's Holy Spirit. Many are quiet in a troubled conscience with the thought that they can change a course of evil when they choose, that they can trifle with the invitations of mercy and yet be again and again impressed. They think that after doing despite, as after just sinning in a small matter, after doing despite to the spirit of grace, after casting their influence on the side of Satan, in a moment of terrible extremity, they can change their course. But this is not so easily done. The experience, the education of a lifetime has so thoroughly molded the character that few then desire to receive the image of Jesus. Even one wrong trait of character, one sinful desire persistently cherished, will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. Every sinful indulgence strengthens the soul's aversion to God, the man who manifests an infidel hardihood or a stolid indifference to divine truth is but reaping the harvest of that which he himself has sown. In all the Bible, there is not a more fearful warning against trifling with evil than the words of the wise man that the sinner shall be holding with the cords of his sin. Proverbs 5 verse 22. End of quote. And Adam and Eve were holding with the cords of their sin. They thought they could trifle with sin and it would be of no consequence. They thought that they could just eat of that fruit and it's a small matter. But their time is past. Today, you and I are the ones on the stage. And the forbidden fruit is being presented to us on a daily basis. 
the problem with Eve was a mistrust of God, thinking that God did not have her best interest at heart and she believed a lie. She was deceived. But in that deception is a small way of saying she was treacherous. She was traitorous. She was a betrayer. And she did very, very wrong. She had no reason to do that. And some of us mistrust God today. We think that he's trying to take good from us. When you hear his word telling you, don't do this and do that, in your mind you feel, oh, you want to make me suffer, right? You want to make my life miserable, isn't it? This was how the Israelites felt when they were on their journey to Canaan. Oh, you brought us to the wilderness to destroy us. Oh, we see what your plan is. That was what Eve was thinking. Oh, you denied me from eating these fruits because you don't have good deeds and good intentions for me. Whenever we disobey God intentionally like that, that is exactly the same thing we are saying. And we need to repent of such thinking. I have known people who have intentionally heard the word of God, have followed it for a while, and then somebody comes to tell them, look, see this part you're walking? You are never going to be this or that. Or you never enjoy life. You never have money. You never, And give them all kinds of bad image and they run away from God, thinking that God has bad intentions for them. But I have known such people to get into greater trouble after they have turned away from God, just like Adam and Eve. I have known them to be so. They think that by serving God, they will suffer. They think that by serving God, things will not go well with them. They think that by being obedient and reverent and, and loyal to Him, it will not bring them any good. So they think they are now wise. And they go against the things that they have known. Like I said, I have not known any one of them that, are, that has had it well. Some go into taking drugs. Some think that they can labor and labor in life to get some things for themselves. And they labor themselves and they realize that even the wicked don't have it easy. And they realize that if Satan really had good for the world, at least we would have seen clearly that with all the wickedness going on in the world, there should not be poverty since he has prosperity to give them. But some people are not wise enough, they are not thinking enough to realize that if truly wickedness and disobedience brings prosperity, why is the world that lies in wickedness the way it is? If wickedness was bringing prosperity, how many have we seen around us like that? But people don't think. they like Eve listen to the devil and take their chances and they are brought into a street. Let us learn our lesson not to do that. And secondly, trust God. Adam failed to trust. Let us trust that he can handle the situation no matter how bad it is. And yes, many are in tough situations that looks like only disobedience can bring them out of it. But let us trust the Lord. Wait patiently for him and he will see you through. And do not think that, well, the, the way I'm going to bring out myself is just a small matter. It's just a little lie I'm going to tell. And that's all. You think it's a small thing. Just as Adam thought that eating that fruit was a small thing and he took his chances. But know ye, O man and O woman, that you will be held by the cords of your sin. Don't think you can just escape that sin like that. When you sin, you make yourself cut away from God less inclined to yield, less capable of yielding to the tender pleading of God's Holy Spirit. And that's where bondage comes. That's where addiction comes. You become in bondage to sin because you give yourself willingly to it. You cannot just put yourself in sin willingly and think you'll come out very easily. It's not so easily done. The experience, the education of a lifetime will mold your character that you may not even want to be like Jesus again. Be very careful. Be very careful. And may the Lord help us to take heed. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for your word. Solemn words, sad day for the universe. But we pray, Father, that as we've gone through this, please help us because these are deep lessons. We will certainly find ourselves in the same situation as Adam and Eve. 
Have we done the same thing as them? Certainly in one way or the other. We have mistrusted you and we've used lies and we have sinned to escape like Adam did. And like Eve, we have been treacherous to think that you do not have good deeds and good plans for us. And be torn away from you. Forgive us, dear Lord. We repent and we pray that you grant us greater and deeper repentance of these matters. For those who are listening and even myself, bring to our minds when the situations when we have done this that we may repent of it deeply and help us that as we rise from this prayer, we will rise as new creatures, ready to believe that you love us and that you care for us, to trust you no matter what the situation is and to not treat sin as a light thing but to take it seriously. Do this and take the glory. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. This message was brought to you by the angel with a strong voice, a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for his imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org. That is www.tawasv.org or contact info at tawas.org.